Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. If you have your Bibles, maybe you could go to Joshua. Joshua chapter um, 1, and just hold off there, and we're going to get back to that. <clears throat> Amen. Joshua chapter 1. Are we all there? We were there last week. We'll be there again today. We'll probably be there again next week because it's a, it's a series that God has formed here within us. And we are going to continue um, with we will. We will. And we're going to continue the dialogue about what this looks like. We will. If you remember, if you remember, um, our first, our first um, installment was just we will. And that was, it, it, it wasn't on purpose, but it was on our 11th birthday. And then last week we came and said, you know what, we're going to continue to talk about we will. And what did we say yesterday? We will what? Be strong. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> we will be strong. We will be strong. And we talked about that our strength and his strength is necessarily, it's found in our what? It's found in our weakness. Where he glorifies himself in and through our weakness. But today I want to continue to talk about we will. And if you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. We will lead. We will lead. And, um, and I want to talk about that because, because this is very important. Why am I going to talk in part two about we will lead? Why is this so important? Because we've already gone over your weaknesses and we've already got rid of the excuse of your weak. So for many of us who say, well, I can never lead like that or I can never do those things that I know God's really called me to because I'm weak and I have so many, how many of you said that? I have sins in my life, I have so many downfalls in my life, I have so many struggles in my life. Well, we've already come to the place and we've recognized that God wants to and is in the business of using us in our weakness to glorify himself. To glorify himself through us, in us, amen? So right off the bat, we don't have the excuse of, hey, I'm weak, so I can't lead. So what's the importance? Because I'm weak and he is strong, number two, I'm called to lead. I've never met a strong leader. A strong leader is full of himself, but I've met strong leaders who could admit that they're weak, but God is glorified in strength and in their weakness. It's nothing to front about. It's to be honest about. There's nothing to pretend about and brush under the rug. All we do is damage each other, hurt each other, and hurt ourselves. When we pretend we're something, when we're really not. It's okay to tell someone that you confide in and love in that's a brother, a sister in the Lord. Like, I'm struggling. I'm weak. I'm going through this stuff. And in those moments, find great strength. It's okay. God doesn't belittle you. God doesn't think less of you. And God doesn't say, oh, because of that, I'm not going to use you anymore. No. Instead, he looks over the proud. He doesn't like the proud. He looks over them because the proud, those individuals, it's hard to use them because it will be about their glory, their kingdom, and their power. But the weak individuals will be about his kingdom, his glory, and his power forever and amen. Like we sang today in worship. Very important. Number two, we will lead. We will lead. Say it with me. Good. We introduce this series and we've been teaching on this and we talked about strong and and now as we get into this we we've learned this strength this bravery it does not mean to be absent of this weakness in our lives but but here it is and I want to make sure I'm clear on this that if we continue to teach and if the church continues to teach 
that to lead, that, that you're not able to lead until you've conquered all of your weaknesses. By doing or teaching this, we're going to create hypocritical leaders who give off an impression of perfection, which will cause others to emulate and always fall short. And we will lose them due to a continual condemnation that that kind of lifestyle brings upon them. I'm going to read it one more time. Because I was part, and how many of you have been part of churches like this, part of families like this? Let me say it one more time. Ready? If we teach, you'll never be able to lead until you've conquered all your weakness. By doing or teaching this, you will create hypocritical leaders who give off an impression of perfection, which will cause others to emulate and always fall short, and we will lose them due to a continual condemnation that that kind of lifestyle brings upon them. Many of us have gone through that. Many of us have experienced that in our journey in the Lord. So what am I trying to do now? Awaken the masses and at least this family and say, not us. We're not going to front on each other pretending like we don't have weaknesses. So what am I going to do? I come up here now and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm just, let's be transparent. I struggle, you struggle, we struggle. And together, let our struggles come together and let his strength be known. So, so we don't want people to live in condemnation. We don't want people to live in hypocrisy to pretend there's something that they're not. They're not fooling anyone. Because the ones that really know God could see right through that and say, that's not true. If we continue to teach that you'll never be able to lead until you've conquered all your weaknesses. Here's another one. We're going to create a body of leaders that are self-righteous. They will see the wrong in everyone else's life and fail to see the wrong in their own lives. They will see all the unholy and ungodliness in others and never look into the mirror and consider their own ungodliness and their own unholiness. So two things will happen if we continue to lead like if we ain't got no weaknesses. Number one would be, oh, I'm going to be filled with condemnation because i got to pretend like everything's all right. Or number two is we're going to walk and live the rest of our lives self-righteous. Oh, holier than thou. We're going to live our lives living as if, man, look at them in their ungodliness, not recognizing that, man, there's ungodly behaviors, there's ungodly conversations, and there's ungodly thoughts that are going on inside of me. But I love to point at his. I love to point at hers. That comes from teaching wrong leadership. Proper leadership is good. They're weak. You're weak. Let's all get it together in Christ. Because it creates those kind of people. And I want to make sure if you feel you are the self-righteous type, good, perfect moment to humble yourself before the presence of God. If you feel that, number one, you're the other one that is, that is um, consumed by condemnation because you've given forth this impression of perfection, which you know you're really not. Awesome. Today's a great day to humble yourself and allow God to do a work. Amen? In Matthew chapter 7, verses 3, 4, and 5, Jesus is... His, He's using his own words, and he deals with this kind of stuff. I'm going to read it to you. Matthew 7, 3, 4, and 5 says this. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me re remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus' very own words dealing with this kind of behavior. He's talking to religious leaders. So, so he's dealing with them. You love to point out everyone else's faults. But let me explain to you what you're doing. You're talking about specks when you have planks. And, and that's what he's doing with the religious leaders. May we never be religious leaders that fail to see the planks because we're so consumed by other people's specks. Come on. 
It's very easy to build a family where all we do is look at everyone else's specs and we forget to look at our planks that are bulging out of our eye. Okay? We need to recognize that we need to let the Holy Spirit do that work in us. Man, I feel this today. I, I, I feel like it's good teaching. We read, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. We've, we went over this last week, and I'll read it again. He says, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Why? Why? So that the power of Christ, he talks about Paul, the power of Christ may rest upon me. That, that my strength is made perfect in weakness. And there, that's the power of Christ resting upon me. And then he comes to the end of this, and he makes this great point. He says, for when I am weak, what, church? I feel like you weren't convinced yet. For when I am weak, then that's where I am strong. When I'm weak, then I am strong. So, so we cancel, like I said maybe 10 minutes ago, the excuse of, of our lack of leadership because we're weak. Let's just get this over. Ready? How many of us are weak? Amen. All of you now are qualified to leadership. Come on. All of us are qualified to leadership. All of us. Because when we admit in our weaknesses, then we can admit that he is strong. He is strong. So, so we, can, we can remove that excuse because what I'm trying to teach you guys is this. Ready? There is a form of leadership that is greater than these four walls. There is a form of leadership that speaks greater than these four walls. Leadership should not be confined about what you do in your church on a Sunday morning. Leadership should be about how you raise your children on a Tuesday night. Leadership should be about how you talk with your coworkers on a Wednesday afternoon. Leadership should be about what you do with your best friend who knows you best in the weekend. True leadership is found with every ounce of your life, every drop of your life, not necessarily what you do in the four walls on a Sunday morning. This is just a plus of family gathering, but real leadership is found outside of our church, outside of our family. That's why one of our codes is we leave the nest. That's one of our codes here. That's what we live by here. We leave the nest. Why would you say that if you're trying to build a nest? No, no, no. We're trying to bring what's happening here to the rest of this world. If not, it just becomes toxic. This stuff right here becomes toxic. Churches that only live for this become toxic and only last for a little while. There's just a point to the breath ends and they can no longer exist. But when churches stop living for this and live for the world that is waiting for the gospel of Jesus, with that in mind, and that comes not with just necessarily evangelizing in stadiums, but that comes doing one-on-one -on -one life with every single person who has not filled one of these chairs yet. When that is the purpose, this place stays healthy. So this is even better. Surrender it to God. The weakness, it glorifies God. He'll use it. We'll get, we, we understand that. So all of us here are called to leadership. If we are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is present in us. We are all called to leadership. We want you to get involved here. Don't get me wrong. But don't come up to us and say, how can I be a leader here? It begins with being a leader out there. Because the reputation out there will then begin to be heard and then we'll begin to be seen in here. You, you guys see what I'm trying to say? Just be a leader. What do you have to be a leader? Be a leader. Get into the presence. Get into the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do in you. So let's continue in this message as we get through the introduction. And let's continue to speak about Joshua's life. This passage about Joshua and these preachings, it's all based on Joshua 1. I'm not going to go through the whole chapter again like I did last week and like I did on December 2nd. But what I want to do is I want to specifically read verses 6 through 9. Maybe I'll, I'll stop at 6 and 7. 
and let's just go ahead and, and, and touch up on this again. Ready? Um, Joshua 1, verse 6, it says this, be strong and courageous. We learned that, we learned the definition of what that strong meant in the Hebrew, and we learned about what courageous meant last Sunday in the Hebrew, and God is calling us to be brave. And he says, for you are the one, listen to, listen to what God tells Joshua, for you are the one who will lead. Um, the New King James Version says, you are the one who shall divide, for these people you shall divide. The ESV says, for you shall cause these people to inherit the land, I swear to them. So depending what translation, that word changes. But yet, in every single one of those translations, they all mean the same thing. Joshua is called to lead a nation. You with me? In every translation, it's key. So what is Joshua being told? He's going to lead. He's going to take these people to divide the inheritance. He's going to take these people so that they could inherit this land in all aspects. He is leading these people to possess the land that God swore to their ancestors. Remember, it started with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, started with Abraham. Everything that I would give them, verse 7, he tells them again, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left, and then you will be prosperous. You will be successful in everything you do. Amen. Let's stop here for a purpose. He says, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land that I swore. For these people you shall divide. For you shall cause these people to inherit the land I swore to them. So, so what are we reading here specifically in verse 6? Well, here it is. Joshua is not just called to be strong and brave, strong and courageous. He's not just called to be brave with a, what we learned last Sunday. And if you did not hear last Sunday's message, please do me a favor and go back and hear last Sunday's message sometime this week. But he's not just called to, to lead them in bravery with a mental and a spiritual and a moral strength. But Joshua very important if you're taking notes, is also to lead himself. He's to lead himself. And not only that, he is to lead a people, and specifically what we're talking about here when we say people, it's a nation who would be um, defined or described as the people of God. It's the Israelites. Can you imagine? I mean, I always say this when, 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 um, when, um, when Easter time comes, like, can you imagine being Mary holding the, the baby of God? Like, you don't want to bump into nothing. You want no one to touch it. Don't touch it just in case it breaks because it's God's baby, you know. Now, imagine being Joshua. You're leading my special people. Oh, my gosh. I don't want to make one mistake. These are God's people. Like, like it's, it's the truth. And now in the New Testament, it's the same command right here. But, but he's to lead a people, a nation. He's to what? Divide land. And you all know this, hopefully, right? When you're going to divide land amongst the people, you're going to set rules. You're going to set leaders. You're going to handle disputes. You're going to handle concerns. And, man, we could go much, much, much more of things that a leader like Joshua would have to deal with on a day, a day by day. So we read on. And I want to go real quick. I want to take a, a little trip to the end of the book of Joshua. Just so you could see something. We're going to go to Joshua chapter 23. Let's read verses 2 and 4, and then we'll keep going from there. Joshua 23. So Joshua calls together. Look at this. If you have it in your Bible there, go ahead and turn to it. If not, it's on the screen as well. It says, he called together all the elders, all the leaders, all the judges, and all the officers of Israel. This is now Joshua 23. This is the end of Joshua's life. Joshua 1, it's the beginning of his leadership. Amen? Joshua 23, it's the end of his leadership. Are you with me? Everyone say the beginning. This is the end of his leadership. Look what he does. 
He calls together all the elders, all the leaders, all the judges, all the officers of Israel, and he said to them, I am now a very old man. Joshua's old now. Keep going. You have seen everything that the Lord your God has done for you during my lifetime. Man, we could just preach off that verse. You have seen everything that the Lord your God has done in my lifetime. Can you imagine being able to say that at your old age? You have seen everything that the Lord your God has done in my lifetime. I mean, I'm not going to continue because my whole message will change. Someone has to remind me when we're done with the series just to preach on that verse. You have seen everything that the Lord your God has done in my lifetime. That, 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 that is probably the most important part of this whole entire verse. Whatever, let's keep going. The Lord your God has fought for you against your enemies. Verse 4. I have allotted to you as your homeland all the land of the nations yet unconquered, as well as the land of those we have already conquered, from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. He's giving the boundaries. Verse, um, what else? Verses, let's go to 6 and 7. And then he says, so be very careful to follow everything Moses wrote in the book of instruction. Do not deviate from it. Do you remember? Isn't that what we just read in chapter 1? God's instruction to him, now he's giving it to others. That's leadership for you. What God pours into you, pour into others. 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 When God pours into you, pour into others. Stop trying to make your own plans and your own ways and write your own book of how to be a leader when God is giving you the instructions of how to be a leader. Ready? When God pours into you, pour into others. When God pours into you, pour into others. And that is the proper way of leadership. I'm going to pour into you what God's poured into me. So what is he pouring into them? So be very careful to follow everything Moses wrote in the book of instruction. Do not deviate from it. Turn neither to the right or to the left. Verse 7. Make sure you do not associate with the other people still remaining in the land. And that was the only mistake that we see in the book of Joshua that he made. Do not even mention the names of their gods. Much less swear by them or serve them or worship them. And we could preach off that because he should have destroyed those people too and taken that land. And he would have never had to give them that command if he would have gone full force and taken over everybody. That's all. So Joshua 23, verses 2 through 6. Joshua 1 is the beginning. Joshua 23 is the end of his leadership. Why am I stressing this? Listen to this. He's leading at his death with the same convictions, with the same truths in which he was leading in his younger years. That's so important. People change throughout the years. People falter throughout the years. Many come. Many go. Many start the race. Many don't finish. At the end, at his old age, what Joshua is doing is he's teaching the same convictions, the same truths in which was poured into him in his younger years. Are you with me? That speaks well of Christians. This speaks well of leaders. That throughout our whole lifetime, we lead. You see, Joshua's Joshua's leadership was not just in a portion of his lifetime if you read the text properly throughout his whole lifetime he was a leader amongst leaders and amongst people his whole life was about leading listen godly leadership is not again I'm going to repeat is not just for a period of time or when it seems to best benefit you actually godly leadership it might begin by not benefiting you So godly leadership is not just for a period of time when it seems best to benefit you. Listen, it's for a lifetime. It's for always. Through what? We've talked about this last week. Through trials, through success, through failures, through difficulties, through simplicity, through joys, and through pains. Whenever people love you and when they despise you. In all moments of our lives, there is someone always watching. Yes? 
What do I mean by watching? They watch what we do, they watch what we say, and they watch how we react. Every time, doesn't matter if they're young, old, same age, there's always someone watching us when we say Christ is in our lives. Why? Because they want to be the first ones to point the finger and say, I knew you were a hypocrite just like the rest of them. There's always someone watching. Someone say that. There's always someone watching. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a song. Michael Jackson, I think, wrote a song about that stuff. I don't know. But here it is. It all matters. It always matters. Why does this stuff matter? Listen, it matters because we're aliens. <laughs> I know, that's some freaky stuff there. It matters because we're aliens. We're citizens. We're foreigners. We're citizens of a greater kingdom. And leadership will always be defined by the way you live. Always be defined. If you're taking notes, great thing to write down. Leadership will always be defined by the way I live. Have you thought about this? In Christ, man, we just sang this song. Thank you, worship team, for singing this song. In Christ, we represent and we demonstrate his identity. We, we, we represent, we demonstrate the identity of his kingdom. So as we walk on earth doing life with people, we should, what, in relationship, be showing and teaching people what the kingdom of heaven is like. We should be teaching and showing people just through our lifestyle what God is like. So how is God? Come and hang out with me for a little while, and you shall see God. Can we see? That's powerful, man. What did Joshua say at the end of his life? So, so it's very important. By the way you live. I'll say this part one more time. Ready? Leadership will always be best defined by the way you live. By the way you live more than by the advice you give. Come on. By the way you live more than the ideas you have. I'm talking to all my people with good ideas. Your leadership is more defined by the way you live more than the amount of people you have working or serving under you. Or how many people you mentor, how many people you call that you're their father and mother spiritually. Leadership is defined deeper than all of that stuff. It's by the way you live. So I want us all to be clear and hear this. For us to be effective and to have weight in our lives. To, to be effective and have weight in, in the lives even of others. We must first effectively and learn to lead ourselves. I'll never be able to effectively lead someone else if I myself don't even know how to run my own life. If I am a disaster and I'm trying to help someone else and they're a disaster that's very similar to mine, they're going to look at me and say, you're the biggest joke, man. They're going to look at my words and they're going to look at my life lived out before them and they're going to say, you have no authority to speak into my life because the first thing that I look at is I look at your life and it's all out of order, all over the place. And yet, your life who is out of order wants to tell me how to live a life of order? Are you guys understanding that? So to be an effective leader, to have weight in the lives of others, I must first learn how to effectively lead myself. I hope we're all in agreement with that. In the books of Acts chapter 20, Paul meets with a group of elders. And he's meeting with a group of elders from the churches of Ephesus. This is so good. I love this verse. I preached about uh, on this months ago. And he grabs all the church of Ephesus leaders together. And you know what he tells them? He, he, he tells them this. I'm going to read from chapter 20 verse 28. He says, be careful. Not be careful. Pay careful attention to yourselves. 
before he says anything else, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers over to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own, with his, with his own blood. But, but notice what the apostle is saying here. Be careful or pay attention or, or pay careful attention, right, to yourself. What is he really telling the leaders of the Ephesus church? What is he telling them? I hope you catch, you catch it. He's teaching that if you're healthy, then the people you lead are healthy. You want healthy people? Become healthy yourself. If you're healthy, pay attention to yourself. Pay close attention. Pay careful attention to yourself. Because if you're healthy, the people you lead are healthy. If they learn to lead and live their lives properly, then they would have the respect and be given the authority to lead in the life of others. If your life is in disorder, don't try to sit with someone over a coffee break and tell them how to live a life of order. Because they see it in your Instagram account, they see it on your Facebook account, and they see it living life every day with you. That why are you telling me how to live a life of order if everything I see about you is disorder? So as a leader, what do I have to do? I have to be careful with my life if I'm ever going to pour into someone else's life. And that's what leadership is. That's, listen, you think Joshua was like, you think he was like coming out and, I don't know, painting his face and acting like a clown when he was like millions of people ready to lead? Hey, guys, I just want to do a funny joke today and, and act like a little kid and, and be a goofball. And yet he's got millions of people. Come on, I'm going to go conquer these people in AI in Jericho. And like, you're a clown. I'm not going to follow a clown. Of course not. There was something about Joshua that if I'm going to lead a nation, there had to have been something that God saw in him that God loved how he led himself. Why do I say that? Because I've been saying this a lot to people privately. Never do we see that Moses' sons were called to lead. Never. All over the Bible, it's always the son of the next leader that leads. Why didn't Moses' son lead? Well, if you read, you catch Moses' sons later on, and you'll see that the offspring, the descendants, the, the sons of Moses were always constantly given over to idolatry. God passed over their idolatry because they couldn't surely serve God. And I believe that because they didn't turn from their idolatry, he overlooked them and looked at Joshua and says, you're the next leader because none of Moses' sons got it in them. Why? Because they don't know how to lead themselves. How are they going to ever lead my people? Joshua, you know how to lead yourself. Come and lead my people. So what am I saying? God is not a respecter of persons. Just because they were the next in rank and they could have taken daddy's ministry over, God says, this is not about you. What, did, what, what does Paul tell them? He says this, ready? Be careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Because all of it, at the end of the day, is his. And guess what? All of you None of you are mine. None of you are mine. I am a sheep among sheep, but I'm also called to be a shepherd among these sheep. But as I'm a shepherd, I never stop remaining from being a sheep. And, I, and, and, and I'm very careful not to say, oh, she, she's, she's one of my sheep. No, I'm just a shepherd that watches over one of his sheep. I'm very careful with the wordage I use because, because I don't want this to be about, oh, this is my kingdom or our kingdom. This is God's kingdom. And we're, we're, well, we're managing what he owns. We're working with what belongs to the Lord. What does Paul say? The church, so I could present her before him as a chaste virgin. Not so he could present her before me, Paul. He's, at the end of the day, Paul's going to present her. This is so beautiful for leadership. If we're healthy, they're healthy. 
There, there is a kind of leadership that imposes yourself on others. That they always have to give the advice. They always have to say something. They always have to involve themselves. But then there is another kind of leadership that stays put. And causes others to draw to them because of the honor and order that your life demonstrates. It's got to start from within. You should write that down somewhere. It's got to start from within. How can I lead anyone if I can't lead myself? How many of you want to lead your family, want to lead the world, want to lead your jobs, but you're noticing that God today is telling you, all right, let's start with you today, huh? Let's put it all on the table. Let's start with you and let's change your job. Let's start with you and let's change your family. Listen, it's got to start from within. How can I lead anyone if I can't lead myself? How can I do this if I can't keep a job? If I can't pay my bills on time ever? If I can't be seen as honest, my words are a joke to people. If I can't, if I, if I can't listen, but I always demand for everyone to listen to me. Think about these things. Does any of this stuff define us? I mean, seriously, begin to build credit within you and then others will begin to follow. Then they will listen to what you have to say, advice you have to give, and they will follow you to the places in which you will take them. Come on, leaders. Lead on. We will lead. But what? But pay attention to yourself. You with me? What do I mean by that? Lead yourself before ever leading others. Lead yourself. How does Joshua do this? How is Joshua doing this? How does he take over for Moses? Remember this, December 2nd? Moses, one of the greatest leaders in the Bible. Not a, these are not sh- like easy shoes to fill. I'm, I'm taking over Moses' job. <laughs> Moses' position. I don't want that position. Like, no, no, no. Like, I don't know why Joshua didn't say, Caleb, give it to Caleb. You know, he was with me. He did it too, you know. No, no. He's going to take over for Moses. I mean, we're talking about millions of people. Millions. But listen to this, Joshua. He's the one that God will use to establish identity. You should know this. Joshua in the Old Testament is the one that God will use to establish identity to a people, to millions of people that have lost their way for way too long. They've been wandering in the wilderness. And Joshua steps into the leadership and says, I'm going to show you the land that you've been looking for. And he establishes Israel for the first time and gives them land and tells them how to rule. And for the, for the rest of their lives, they're in peace. But, but this is very important because that word um, um, Joshua, we also get Yeshua in the, in the New Testament. And Jesus plays that role as well where he now takes us from captivity, from the wilderness experience, and into a place where we find identity and he gives us the land that belongs to us. Jesus and Joshua are two representations, man, of the Messiah. Joshua represents Jesus in the Old Testament. And what, is they, what are they both doing? They're giving us identity. The Israelites are getting identity through Joshua's leadership. What are we doing? We are getting identity to, from Yeshua, Jesus' um, leadership. Amen? Come on, follow where I'm going. Who is grabbing identity and taking hold of identity because of your leadership? Who's finding identity because of how you speak to them? Because of how you live your life next to them? They're coming to a place of greater grips with Jesus, with Christ, with his presence, because of your leadership. Man, how will you do it? How will you take over for Joshua? How will you take over for the greater Joshua, which is Jesus, for the greater Moses, which is Jesus? The, how will you do it? How will you be the one that God will use to establish identity to a people that have been lost for way too long? Have you asked yourself that question? 
Your leadership, and I want to make sure you know this, and we're going to get into some more scripture. Your leadership is small if its only reach is Nest Church. Your leadership is small if your only reach is Nest Church. When you have a world that is actually waiting for true leaders to take hold of their calling outside of Nest Church. If our leadership is here, it's small. But if it's to go to this world, we're catching it. In Luke chapter 10, maybe this will ring a bell. Jesus sends out 70 leaders, 70 individuals that he pours into. And he, tends, he sends them out to a field and he sends them out to evangelize into a field. Go, go, go to, go to the field. And he wants them to prepare the field, prepare the way. Because I'm going to, for my arrival, as I enter into some of these towns. And he tells them in Luke chapter 10 verse 2, please follow along. He says to his followers, he says, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Are you with me there? See, I, I'm going to repeat this again. Sorry for being repetitive. Your leadership is small if its only reach is Nest Church. When we have a world that is waiting for true leaders to take hold of their calling. When Jesus says, the harvest is truly great, the laborers are few, therefore pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. Then I come to grips with this understanding that Nest Church is the family that is coming together. The world is the ministry where the godly leaders are being sent out to give the lost world its identity. This is just family coming together. When we say, okay, we're going home now, that's when ministry begins. Ministry is not from 10 to 12 on a Sunday. That is family gathering. Ministry is not 7.30 to 8.30 on a Wednesday. That's just family together. Ministry is what you do when we get out of this family relationship and we do family outside of these walls and we go to the world who is a harvest field ready to pick up the workers that are ready to receive the work from the harvest. I'm telling you that this right here is family, but the true ministry is the field that is prepared by the living God for you to harvest. I truly believe that in Scripture. This is the family coming together. The world, come on, you should say this. You should write this in your notes. My church is the family coming together. The world is my ministry before the Lord. The world is my, I'm, what am I doing? Think bigger. Think kingdom. Think greater. And it starts one individual at a time. Who in this world is not seated here? And I'm not telling you to go lead them because they need to be seated here. I'm telling them to go lead them because they need to enter into the kingdom of God. And if they sit here, that's a plus. Then they get to do family with us. But the purpose why we evangelize is not so that we could gain family members within this church. It's so that we could gain what? Sons in the kingdom of God. Gaining members and family in this church is a bonus. This is family coming together at 12 o'clock when we leave. That is ministry in this world. How many of you can say amen? We could talk more deeper on that if you want to have a private meeting on that. I love that stuff. I believe that. This is family. That's ministry. Hallelujah. The world is the ministry. We will, will God use you to establish an identity to a people that have been lost for way too long? Man, seriously. You know what else Jesus says right before these statements? Let, let me make sure you understand this. The harvest truly is great. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out the laborers for the harvest. 
Okay, he says that. Amen to that. Praise God. Hallelujah. There's two fist pumps in the air. But you know, that's just verses 2. Or that is just verse 2. That is just verse 2. Everyone say, that's just verse 2. <laughs> Keep reading, Pastor. Don't give us itchy ears gospel stuff. Keep going because there's more to that. You know it. All right, I'll keep reading. It's not, just, it's not just about the harvest being great and the laborers are few, so let's pray for the glory of the harvest to send out laborers for the field. No, 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 it's more than that. Watch this. Ready? Verse 3. Let's keep reading. What does Jesus tell them? Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Okay, wait a minute. There's a ministry in this world, but you just told me that I'm going out as a lamb among wolves. If you've ever watched National Geographic like I do, I'm, I'm into this whole new Netflix stuff. Like I'm, I'm watching like Planet Earth and, and what's the one I was watching all day and I looked at Netflix like I could watch this all day. A monkey banging into, how does that monkey know that there are bees and they're making honey and he gets a tool and he breaks the hole and grabs the honey and eats that honey. How does he do that? God's creation. I'm like, I'm watching all these things all day. If you know anything about that, um, being sent as a lamb among wolves, it's never good. Wolves attack lambs, and um, they have a pretty good record in winning. <laughs> and yet God says, I'm sending you out <laughs> as a lamb among wolves. You know, verse 2 doesn't sound too good now. Come on, how many of you are feeling bubbly inside? Oh, yeah, this is family, but the ministry is the world. So what am I going to do? I'm going to pray for the Lord to send out the harvest of the laborers, and I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to win the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we go to verse 3, and he said, but I'm going to send you out as a sheep among wolves. Like, oh, my God, that didn't sound good. It's, you see, because God's not fronting on anyone. God's not pretending on anyone. God shows you that this journey, it's going to be profitable. It's going to be worth it. There's a reward at the end, but it will be difficult. I promise you this. Please do not take this the wrong way. I'm speaking to my family the way family should talk. I think that when this stuff becomes very easy, then maybe something's being done wrong. I'm just, I said maybe, I'm thinking. I'm not saying that's concrete. I'm just thinking. But I'm a lamb among wolves. He says there, Catherine, carry neither money. Man, I leave. Okay, let the preaching do itself. Ready? Let the word do itself. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, sandals, and greet no one on the road. But whatever house you enter first, say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. Verse 7. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. I always tell people, whenever you go in and visit other places and other ministries around the world, eat what they give you, drink what they give you. <laughs> You're going to offend someone. For the labor is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things that are set before you. And heal the sick. Wow. And heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come to you. Same message I preach, same message John the Baptist preached. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, the very dust of, this, of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you, but I say to you, it will be more tolerable in the day of Sodom than for that city that rejects Jesus Christ, which is also the unforgivable sin, which is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's get into that right now. <laughs> I like that. But what a call this is. What a call that this is. He sends us. Come on, family. Let's go do ministry. How? As lamb among wolves. It always works for Jesus. That the, that the pattern of this world 
It doesn't connect with the pattern of Christ. We should be wolves among lambs. And God says, no, you're lambs among wolves. Because I want to use the weak things in this world to put to shame the things that are strong. So I use lambs to be wolves. I use the foolish things to despise those who are wise. And you're like, oh, good, I could bask in my weakness. You better, because if not, you're, you might just be a wolf in sheep's clothing rather than sheep going out amongst wolves. Hallelujah. So what is he doing? He's sending us out. He's sending us out as lambs among wolves for the only reason that that's his formula. That's his teaching. That's his playbook. Why would you send lambs to beat up wolves? Because lambs are weak and there's no way that they could beat up wolves. But they're going to recognize that in their weakness, I am strong. And the wolves will be defeated by the lambs. Because I don't operate according to the pattern of this world. But I want you to go out as lambs and preach for the kingdom of God is at hand. Because you operate from a greater kingdom that is arriving. And it's arrived inside of you. Go now. Make your way as sheep among wolves. It makes total sense when you get the revelation. It makes total sense when you get the revelation that I need to go out as a sheep because I'm weak and he is strong. Joshua was young. Joshua, man, the most difficult thing to when you preach is where do you continue to go and where do you stay? Because it's so hard sometimes. Joshua was a very young man when he started. Joshua was filled with vision. Joshua was faithful. Very young age. Let me, let me explain it to you this way. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 10, he was a young leader under Moses, right? And um, some stuff went down, and his very own people that he did life with, his very own people that he called friends, families, fathers, uncles, deals, they wanted to stone him. I'm not, this is like real stuff. They literally wanted to kill him. Can you imagine, Joshua? Deal. Why do you want to kill me? He was a faithful young man with vision. L let me read um, Numbers 13, verses 27 through 30. Numbers 13. It's right before Numbers 14, 10, when they were about to kill him. You know why they wanted to kill him? Check this out. Because before you, just stay right there in that, in that verse. They spent 40 days spying the land of Canaan. They come back to Moses and the leaders of Israel and said, Caleb and Joshua. Come back. Come back. And they say, we saw the land and we have a report for you. Let me tell you what I saw. You ready for this? It's so beautiful. We entered the land that you sent us to explore, and it indeed was a bountiful country. It was fruitful. Right? Honey and milk. It was a land flowing of milk and honey. <clears throat> and here is the kind of fruit it produces. They brought back fruit with them. <laughs> but the people living there are very powerful. You catch that? The people there are wolves. The people there are wolves. And their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there. I mean, you saw giant wolves, mutant wolves. The descendants of Anak and the Amalekites, they live in Negev. And, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites, they live in the hill county. And the Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. In every single place of that land, we're defeated. There's enemies all around us. But listen. But Caleb now stands up. He's another young man who was with Joshua. And he says, he tried to quiet all the people as they stood before Moses. 
meaning that they were screaming, they're crazy, we can't go, there's no way, why'd you do this, Moses? And Caleb, being young, says, shh, everyone be quiet. And he says, let's go now at once, and let's take the land. We can certainly conquer it. <laughs> Joshua and Caleb are crazy. Let's go. We're, there's wolves out there. Yeah, but we're lamb. We are lambs among wolves. But there are wolves out there, but I'm a lamb among wolves. Let's go concrete. Right after Joshua and Caleb come with this report, please listen. Right after this, in Numbers 14.10, a few verses down, or next page. They're, so, they're, so, they're filled with so much anger that they now rise up to kill both Joshua and Caleb. I, I just think about Jesus' words, go out as lambs among wolves. See, I'm not going to give you false advice, and, and that's not something I'll ever do. Because, you see, when you start to take a, taking a stand for what is true, you know what? We're close, we're close. Just, just follow with me here for a moment. When you start to take a stand for what is true, when you begin to live in godly leadership, not everyone will like you. Not everyone will like you. Sometimes it starts with your very own family. Just like it started with Joshua and Caleb's family. So bad that they wanted to kill him. You've never heard of these stories of the Muslims when they convert? How they tie their women to trees? And they do hideous things to them, it's horrendous, evil things. And, and they burned their sons with oil because they accepted Christ. True stories. See, when you start to live in leadership for what is true, godly leadership, not everyone will like you or the way that you lead. Some will, some won't. Some will accept, some will reject. Some will tell you, and I love when they say, I just, you know, I just want to, or they counsel you, let's just be honest, in which way is better, and look how they do it, it's better over there, whatever. Leading with Christ Leading with Christ in this world, listen, is not living, worrying about what is being said, but are you leading effectively day by day, year in and year out, with the same conviction and truth that the Lord has laid in your heart when you first began? Like Joshua. Have they even deepened and have they been strengthened when you first began? See, if Moses was speaking, spoken ill about and almost killed by his own people, Moses, so would Joshua be spoken ill about and be killed by his own people. Makes sense. If Jesus was hated by some and killed by his own people, so will we, his followers, also be hated by some and try to be killed by his own people. By our own people. Why do I say that? John 15, 18 says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it ever hated you. So at some point, you will be spoken about. And many times you'll hear about it. Sometimes you won't. But listen, sometimes it's going to do a work in you because you need to grow. And sometimes it's going to do a work in them because they need to repent. But at the end of the day, it's always going to happen. Why? Because you're taking a stance in something that you're convicted in, that you're true in. And you're saying, from now on, I'm going to live in godly leadership. Not everyone in the world is going to like that. Amen? I don't have time, but I wanted to give you verses for all these points. So I'm just going to give you some of these points. Number one, and I'll, maybe if, for team night, I'll give you the rest. Number one, a leader turns to God always for wisdom. Moses constantly did. Joshua constantly did. If you remember, Jesus was be, would be missing in the morning. And the disciples say, where were you? And he was up in the mountain. He was crying out to the Father. Listen, 
a leader turns to God for wisdom. Anyone, anyone could attest to that? If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you, James 1.5. A leader's life, number two, is always an example. Always. Hebrews 13.7 teaches us that. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Come on. Will you be able to lead someone that they will be able to imitate your faith? A leader always sets an example. Number three, following the Lord. A leader always follows the Lord's leading. A leader always follows the Lord's leading. And we try to do that here in our church. And we try to do that in our own personal lives. Psalms 32, wait, I will instruct and teach you in the way that you shall go. I will counsel you with my loving eye upon you. Amen? There's so much more I want to say about that. The next one, leaders seek delight in the Lord. So when the trial comes, when the danger comes, when the, when the hatred comes, when the words come against you, guess what? Leaders seek delight in the Lord, not in people's words. Let me tell you something, man. I feel like going off for a moment. Because if you live for what people say, you're always going to live for the ministry unto people. But if you live for what God says, your ministry will always be unto God. Don't live according to what people say because then you'll always be controlled by people's voices in your life. And you always will try to live and do life as a Christian according to what they seem fits best. And I'm telling you, you do what God in his word says is best. And who cares if the ones who love you and who cares for the ones that don't like you, God loves you. God approves of you. What do you do? Seek delight in the Lord. When there is no delight in you. <laughs> the next one, find stability in his stillness. Leaders in this world, in Christ, find stability in his stillness. Be still in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret. I continue to think about Marty's preaching. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out wicked schemes. Be still in the Lord. When people try to do evil against you, you say what? Bring it. I'm a lamb among wolves. <laughs> Hallelujah. The next one. From the overflow of our hearts, leaders, that's where we speak. What does that mean? Guard your heart. What does that mean? Measure your heart. What does that mean? Filter it. What's of God, what's not. Be careful what you say. Be careful how you live out. The mouths of the righteous utter wisdom, and their tongues speak what is just. The law of their God is in their hearts, and their feet do not slip. Psalm 37. Guys, I'm telling you, leaders in this world, in your workplaces, with your family, it comes from the heart. It comes from the heart. All things come out of your mouth. It originates in your heart. We know that, right? A good leader's word will bring light and will bring life, not destruction and death. A leader's, here's another one. A leader in this world for Christ, a leader's integrity, again, this is bridged with the next one. A leader's integrity, it begins or it comes from within. I love when it talks about David in Psalm 78. It says, and David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. Man, integrity comes from within. Amen? Here's, here's, some, here's another one. Then I have one last thing. We're done. Leadership is rooted, and I, I can't say, this is why I wanted to say this last, or close to last. Leadership is rooted in righteousness. Never forget the preachings that we did here on righteousness. I love this. I love this Proverbs in chapter 16. It says, it is an abomination for kings to commit wickedness. For a throne is established by righteousness. Man, leading requires integrity. And if you want leadership to have deep roots, which will lead to healthy fruit, man, we, we, re, we weed out compromise and shortcuts, man. Leadership is rooted in righteousness, in the righteousness of God. Amen? Come on. We will 
lead. I'm going to ask the worship team, and I'm, and I'm done with this. Open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. I just want to read some scripture to you, and I think you're going to be blessed by this. And we are done, and get ready for your chili bowl. Team night, chili bow night. Hallelujah. We're going to have fun tonight. So make sure you're back at three. Don't leave yet because this is probably a very important part of my, um, of my stuff. Or, or don't, I mean, stay here, but don't leave. You know what I mean. Don't do the regal where I get distracted. <laughs> All right. Paul is instructing Timothy in regards to leadership, in regards to leaders, specifically overseers and bishops. But still, nonetheless, leaders. And I think it, this has everything to say even about our lives in Christ. And this is what Timothy was to look and to consider in the lives of these so-called leaders. Please listen to this. Listen to this. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 5 gives us a rundown. These leaders were to be above reproach. Everyone say above reproach. Everyone understand that above reproach means these leaders are called to be blameless. Blameless. They live blameless lives. They're not hiding themselves. They're not... They're not trying to hide sin and to mask things up. These are above reproach, blameless men and women. Listen, these leaders were called to be faithful to their spouses. Faithful to their wives and for the women we could say faithful to their husbands. Leaders in this world, I know this is talking about a specific team of leadership, but it's nonetheless any different when it comes to Christ, godly leadership in this world. Timothy was supposed was to know that leaders are to be temperate. He says temperate. The word temperate there, when you define it and recognize it for what it means, it means to, it, he, that individual deals and has a sober mind. They're temperate. They have a sober mind. They're, they don't lose it. They're controlled. They don't blow up for everything. That's immaturity. They're sober minded. They're temperate. They're they reason right. They, they aim at trying to think correctly before they take action, before they say a word. They're sober-minded people. These are leaders in this world, amen? They're self-controlled, very similar to temperate. They have a sound mind. Listen, people that have sense that, that they're not led by their desires or by their impulses. You ever met someone like that? Every day is something new and you're like, I feel like when I'm with you, I'm always lost. Well, when it comes to the spiritual things and when it comes to leading God's people, are we self-controlled? Are we led by his desires? Is it his perfect will that is established in us? Or is it our desires? Is it, is it our impulses? God will cause you to, to act on impulse, act on reaction to what he's calling you. But you get what I'm saying here. There's an order in this individual's life. Oh, a person who is in leadership should be respectable. I like that word because it deals with the word which means it should be orderly. It's an orderly person. It's not a person who lives in disorder. They're a respectable person. A person that is in leadership should be hospitable, meaning that they're generous to people and to guests. I've had so many conversations with people that say, I just hate people. I want everyone to know here, if you've ever said, I hate people, that is not the spirit of Christ. It's okay if you've said that. But God wants you to start loving people because he loves people. How can you love souls? I'm... How can you hate souls, which God loves, 
and gave himself for When you say, I hate people, I hate the work of the cross. Does that resonate with anyone? Whoa. God heard me on that one. He said, lights off on that one. Leaders are able to teach. What does they able to teach mean? It means they're instructive people. They're people that could correct, people that could teach, people that could do life with one another and say, I'm not going to hide this from you. I need to tell you what was wrong. I could teach and correct. And they'll receive teaching and correction as well. People who are called to lead in this world are also not given to drunkenness. It's my weakness. Well, you're showing bad leadership. He'll be glorified. He's strong in my drunkenness. Well, let's talk about that. I think you're twisting that a little bit. <laughs> Not giving to drunkenness. And if drinking's always on your mind, if having a glass of wine is always on your mind, always on your mind, having a beer is always on your mind, there might be something going on deep down more inside of you. If it's always on your mind, it's what I have to always do. There might be something going on in there. They're not giving over, over to these desires. They're not violent. The word violent means contentious, quarrelsome person. Hopefully no one in here is like that. For everything there's a problem. For everything there's a complaint. For everything there's a fight. For everything there's a debate. For everything it's like walking on eggshells. They're not quarrelsome people. Leaders, man, they do life together. No one wants to be around someone that's like, oh my God, are they going to like what I say? Are they not? And that's a, man, you can't breathe around people like that. Leaders are not quarrelsome. And they're not violent. But they're gentle, scripture says. Meaning, they're patient. Be patient with one another. Because you don't know what that person's going through. Be patient. Teach. Correct. Be moderate. Be patient. Here's a good one. Because God is just. Be fair. Be fair. They're not a lover of money. A person who's a leader is not a lover of money. Meaning, one who doesn't covet. One who is not greedy even. That all you think about is money and money and all you think about is my money and greed. I love that when God, when Jesus sent out the seven, he says, take no money with you. Why? So that you can't follow him. I love it. Why? Because true leaders are not going to run to their money always. True leaders are going to run to the resource who is Christ. And if God gives you money and you could, and you know how to worship God with your money, then amen, you got a double bonus too. But I'm telling you, they're not, they're not individuals who are lovers of money. Money is good. Don't twist the Bible. It's the love of money which is the root of all evil. It's the greed of money that is the root of all evil. It is the covet of money that is the root of all Money is good. But it's that aspect of it that's bad. Leaders must learn how to manage. He must manage. Manage what? His own family well. It starts from within if it's going to go without. He must manage his own family well. What does manage mean? He must rule and be over and care for his, my gosh, you should be home. Men, if it's two in the morning, three in the morning, and your wife is home with her kids, you need to be home with your wives. Wives, if you're going out every weekend and your husband's not with you and it's a girl's night every weekend, I'm telling you, there's something wrong with your scheduling. No, go back home to your husband. Nothing good comes from there. You're opening the door. I'm not telling you not to have a girl's night. I'm not telling you not to have a man's night. Don't twist what I'm saying. I'm saying manage your household well. Manage it well. 
manage your family, care for, rule over your family well, and see that the children obey. Obey their parents. Obey their lead, these leaders. What does that word obey mean? As we rule and are over and care for, that these children are subject now to me. Obey me and submit me. I'm learning that just because I scream loud and scream a lot to my kids, it does not mean that that's what's going to gain respect for my kids. It's going to be eventually when they see dad's life lived out in the fear of God, hopefully, that will cause them to have respect for me. That I can live that out before them. Man, that's difficult at times. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, notice the stress. Because I feel as if Paul recognizes that one of the greatest problems in the church is the church is not healthy because people's family lives at home are not healthy. And some of you guys at home, you keep justifying the way that your marriage is. And you keep justifying the stuff that you come from. I'm going to tell you with love, it doesn't mean it's right. You got to confront and deal and be humble and understand that it's God's honorable call to manage your house right and reconcile and do things right that please the Lord. And it starts with your husband, with your wife, with your sons, with your daughters. It starts with your parents. It starts with your grandchildren. It starts with whoever there is problems with. I'm telling you, you want God to honor you? Begin to honor the unit called family that God's given you. Must rule our house right before they can ever take care of God's church how can this person lead others when their life is not managed well when they can't lead themselves I have to learn how to lead myself if I'm ever going to lead them it's got to start within me come on we will lead and my leadership begins with me my leadership begins with me. We started to. Yeah. My leadership begins with me. Let's stand. Lord, you're calling us for something different. Lord, I want to be like Joshua. I want to be like Joshua, Lord, meaning. I want to lead in this world that through my life people could find their identity. That people can find their identity because of the life lived before them. Lord, I'm not saying I'm there yet. Maybe you still have to do more of a work in me, that's for sure. But I will say, Lord, please get me there. Get us there. Let us, let us lead in this world so that others can follow. So that others can desire what we have, which is you. Lord, I pray that this church would be a, a family of leaders. Not within this church. That's a plus. That's what we do together. Amen. But Lord, what we do outside these walls. That our leadership is greatly defined. In every aspect of what we've spoken about in these last two weeks. Lord, for some of us here, this has been cutting us been a double-edged sword for some of us it's been refreshing but Lord nonetheless we need to hear this stuff so that it could bring great growth in our lives Lord just magnify yourself Lord glorify yourself on these lambs 
on these lambs that are about to go into this world as lambs among wolves.